Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sound of Play 200. 200. 200. Sound of Play is a show in which we have been for, yes, a few years uh, playing favourites from our and your uh, video game highlights, music-wise, from the history of the medium. And we've also decided, as this is a special show, that we're going to shove it down the cane and rinse pipe as well. So <laughs> like like that U2 album, whether you want it or not, in your regular feed, if you're a cane and rinse listener, you're also getting Sound of Play 200. Uh, we like to do this now and again to remind the rather higher, larger number body of cane and rinse listeners that we do another fine podcast as well. I mean, we actually do three other fine podcasts now, but this one's been going a long time. Uh, and yeah, it's been, what, do you, can you remember off the top of your head what year we started? I'm going to say 2014. Yeah, gosh, I don't remember off the top of my head. It, cause we switched to a weekly format yeah. about half a year in. And so if I was better at math and I could probably work this out pretty quickly. <laughs> you, me and Jay did the first one. Yeah, it was 2014 mm. autumn time, I think. And we selected our own pieces and then we started getting, uh, requests in from the community and we've been featuring some of those in most of the shows and we've also had a, a huge amount of very interesting and exciting guests over the years uh, I don't want to start name check checking lest I leave somebody amazing out but it's been an absolute privilege to talk to some real names from the industry from again people who have been making music for games going all the way back um, and some yeah some people who have worked on some massive games as well uh, how about you? You got any highlights from the uh, from the five years we've been doing this? Absolutely. I mean, we've probably we're going to hit up probably a lot of the same points that we did back in uh, episode one hundred, yeah, um, that we did a while back now. But uh, I always like. I mean, obviously, we do have the the big name composers that come by every once in a while, and I, I love talking to members of the community that uh, do their own kind of remix work and that entirely different skill set, which you know is is impressive all on its own. Uh, whether they are are composing their own original music or and if we're retooling somebody else's music to fit in a different context, it's super impressive. But uh, on top of the kind of prestige interviews, as it were, uh, mm. Sound of Play is kind of a nice place where we can kind of cut back and hang a little bit looser than we do on uh, Kane and Rinse. Yeah. And uh, there's always a lot of like experimentation going on and a lot of uh, we have these um, these specials every 10 episodes where we go through like the entire history of a series and kind of, of spin a musical narrative. And that's been really fun to, you know, to talk about and to listen to others talk about uh, series like Persona and Katamari yep. and The Legend of Zelda and Donkey Kong. We've gone through so many of those um, over the, the past 200 Sounds of play now. We had a suggestion just in today for another special at some point, which I don't think we've done yet, which is Castlevania. Mm, right. Yeah, man. <laughs> We're working at another two or three parter there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could be a big one. Uh, the anniversary collection has just come out recently at the time of recording, reminding us of the amazing sort of suite of eight and 16 bit tunes and beyond that came to that series. So, yeah, that would be a mighty mm -hmm. show to try to cover. Yeah, it could be another one like your Smash Brothers one where you did it over two shows. That's even. right. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. And we've done uh, we've done lots of um, longer remixes that I've been at the helm of. We've done oh, yeah. some kind of sillier 
beats around the holidays are usually a lot of fun. We've done like game shows and all sorts of things that just don't really have a home anywhere else. But everything kind of fits on Sound of Play because that's just the way that we roll over here. And it's a lot of fun and we have a lot of fun doing it. And we think we come up with... uh, uh, usually something entirely distinct and interesting to listen to every week. <laughs> I think it is an under-enjoyed podcast uh, in the sense that, uh, yeah, more people should should listen, should su- subscribe and, and tune in. Uh, we have definitely have a hardcore of uh, followers. But, uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things. Um, Mikhail talked about this, one of his friends just saying, you know, I don't I don't get it. But I think it's one of those things when you listen and if you're into, you know, if you've got you've got a, an ear for a, an eclectic selection of stuff and you're into discovering some new things and hearing about the stories, you know, people bring as well uh, and the composition process. I think there's, I know this is just an advertorial for the show now, but this is why we continue to make it even after mm-hmm. five years and 200 shows, even though it's never in terms of numbers hit heights of the Cane and Rinse podcast. Uh, we just still love to make it, I think. I mean, especially I did actually want to give you a shout out. You've just released uh, recently the uh, the 198th Sound of Play was one of your epic uh, medley mixes mm-hmm. of uh, video game music from 1996. And um, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, I don't know how you do that. I literally don't understand how you do them, but they are amazing and presumably an enormous amount of work. Yeah, but it's it's enjoyable. And I always like to kind of have some sort of a creative outlet. And so, you know, it's it's nice to be able to. Um, and I'm learning a lot about video game history as I'm doing it. I'll and bet. so, you yeah. know, for somebody yeah. who's kind of one of the younger members of the team, yeah. uh, it's helping kind of really fill in some some blanks for me. <laughs> yeah, I was backwards. thinking that looking at the 1996 one, because that's like one of, you know, that I was 24 years old. That was my, mm-hmm. you know, it was the start of the era of me being, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been obsessed since the 80s, but 96 was, I was starting to get some actual cash together and I was starting to import games and just there was just the scene was so exciting so it's a really I'm really glad you picked that year lots and lots of memories there but I do have the thing you've put the video up on YouTube so check that out on our YouTube channel as well listeners but also uh, when I listen to the podcast the first time I have so I'm, I spend the whole thing and just as I'm working out what something is it moves on and goes on to the next one <laughs> and it's frustrating but it's also really it's a real good mental workout to try to uh, remember where those little segments are coming from out of context and, and mm-hmm. you know, mushed up into a bunch of other stuff. But I also really like, we're not just here to compliment each other, but I really like the way that you use some um, dialogues and uh, stuff like that from the games to uh, mm, right. underscore or overlay, whatever, whichever it is, depending on the piece of music. Uh, I find that really interesting. And again, it can be a real brain scrambler trying to work out the two things. It's because mm. uh, uh, they're often quite, you know, quite from quite opposing sources so yeah no amazing stuff well to all our new listeners hopefully if you if you're not a regular listener uh hopefully this upcoming selection will inspire you what we've done for sound of play 200 is we asked the team uh we got as many of the guys as possible who were able to to get back to us with a selection uh, and we specifically asked them for something that would uh it was particularly special to them or evocative to them uh that would so a piece that had a genuine emotional connection beyond just this is a bang in tune. So uh, hopefully you'll hear some dedications from the crew, um, which will give you a little insight into yeah why they've picked what they've picked and presumably absolutely awesome tracks. That's right. So we are uh, starting off with a pick from Jacob 
And we're just going to, uh, everyone's just going to frog hop their way into uh, introducing themselves and their own piece of music. And so you'll hear from us uh, towards the middle and then again towards the end of the show uh, to play a couple of our picks here. But for now, let's kick off with Jacob. Happy 200 episodes, Sound of Play. This is Jacob Geller. I am the baby of Kane and Rince, and as is fitting for the youngest member of the team, I've picked a game and a track from a game that's only about a year old. This is a track called Music from the soundtrack of Florence, the phone game that was released by the studio Mountains and published by Annapurna Interactive just last year. It's a really wonderful game. It's a really different game because you're you're playing as a woman named Florence and basically everything you do is just kind of little domestic actions. You know, you you brush her teeth and you you clean up her apartment and all this stuff. And and through the beginning of the game, you get this sense that her life is is fine, is stable, but is pretty gray and maybe she feels a little a little stuck in place and so uh, a couple minutes into the game and the game is only about 20 minutes long you're walking along the street listening to music and you're listening to your headphones and your phone runs out of battery in the game and so you take off your headphones and and there's kind of a musical note that appears floating down the street and so you tap it and you hear just kind of the start of the song and then more musical notes come and so you tap them as well and piece by piece this song starts to kind of take shape and and Florence is is walking and then jogging and then kind of floating you know kept aloft by these notes and you're tapping them faster and faster until it's basically everywhere on the screen is a note that you can you can tap and the whole world is just kind of filled with music and it's this beautiful cello piece and you're you're floating along listening to this music and then you find the source of it which is a man playing the cello in a park and and then throughout the course of the game, you start a relationship with that man. You start dating him and you kind of go through the course of your relationship. And as you do, this song is a constant. It's a kind of a recurring motif that will remind you of of the first time you met him, but in different contexts and with different emotional beats. And I think that using a song in this way as a kind of repeated motif through the life of a, a piece of art is about the most powerful emotionality you can attach to a song. Because now, every time I hear this song, I have the whole life of their relationship in my head at once because it's all brought back by this piece. And because of that, pretty much every time I hear the song, I start crying. I bought this soundtrack on vinyl recently, and I'm so glad to have it. It's it's a really beautiful vinyl, and I love to kind of show it to friends. But when this track comes up, as it inevitably does, I can't really hold a conversation anymore because it's just this kind of all-consuming piece of music for me. So I hope I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you check out Florence. I also hope that you keep listening to Sound of Play for the next 200 episodes because it gives us the chance to explore songs like this.
James here. When picking a piece of music that's important to me for this incredibly special episode of Sound of Play, I was a bit unsure about picking something that not only has previously been played on Sound of Play back in uh, number 48, but one that was also picked by me. But when I listened to the track again, I felt like I had to pick this and hopefully when you hear it, you'll, you'll agree. I've talked before quite a bit about how the period from sort of late high school when I went to university and then up until kind of around 2006, so for something approaching a decade up until 2006, my game playing became very stripped back. I didn't have a console, I played a couple of kind of PC franchises, but in particular the games that I played during that time kind of can be condensed down to three particular series. Um, those are Hitman, Splinter Cell, and Max Payne. Those are all series that started during that period and had multiple games within each of them. And so if I was playing anything at that time, it was almost certainly going to be one of those three uh, franchises. So when it comes to picking music, I didn't have to pick from those three games, but I kind of felt I play so much now that kind of the, the standout is if a game has particularly poor music these days if that makes sense that's not to say there isn't great music around it's just when I think of something that springs immediately to mind it goes back to a time when I was playing very few games and so the music that really hit me hit me hard and stuck with me in all three cases there's excellent music associated with them Jesper Kidd's soundtrack for the early Hitman games were were excellent I thought and in particular for Splinter Cell Amon Tobin's soundtrack for Chaos Theory the third game was absolutely fantastic I still play that album to this day just as an Amon Tobin album without worrying about where it came from even though obviously I know but when I played this particular piece of music by Kartsi Hataka and Kimo Kayasto Apologies on pronunciation there, Finnish, Finnish pronunciation isn't exactly a strong suit for mine. I went with what I thought was correct. They produced the soundtrack for Max Payne and for Max Payne 2. They are uh, Finnish composers both, I think. It's a piece of music that really resonates with me. The first Max Payne we talked about on Cain and Rince is a really stylized comic book noir with almost over-the-top melodrama and also mythological and supernatural elements as well. And so the theme that they produced for that really fit with that kind of noir uh, sensibility. It fit with those themes and that kind of tone that they were going for. But in Max Payne 2, the game loses some of the more, I guess we'd call it emo aspects, certainly the supernatural stuff, and becomes a more straightforward crime story, complete with a kind of classic film noir love story, which is something that wouldn't have fitted in the first game, but in the second made sense, I think at least. So the 
the, this theme, the Max Payne theme, if you like, um, fits, well, not if you like, it's called the Max Payne theme. Uh, it fits with both the over-the-top vibe of the first game, but also that low-key noir that the second tried to hit. And then when we look beyond that to the gritty action of Rockstar's in-house developed third game, um, even when you hear Max sort of tinkle out on piano keys, that theme, it, it'd still fit with the world, even through how the tone of the series had changed and how, in some ways, the tone of the character had changed. Um, it fit each of those, I think, pretty well. And I think that's testament to it capturing not just the melancholy at the centre of the series, but also particularly at the centre of the protagonist, for obvious reasons, the things that happen to and around and because of Max. Um, set a very melancholy tone and I think this piece of music really captures that. The version recorded for Max Payne 2 in particular I think emphasises this by using not the piano that was used in the first game but strings for the primary melody and and it's that ability to it's such a cliche to say but tug at my heartstrings for what the second game's story was and the tone of it which really uh were the highlight of the series for me was in that second game. So that kind of aspect of, of hearing the hearing the melody fire up through strings rather than piano uh, makes this the definitive version of, of this particular piece of music for me. Um, any doubt I had about picking something I'd already picked or picking something that's kind of so well-worn, I suppose, in my life and in, in the life of this series as the Max Payne theme it, it, that all dropped away as soon as I listened to this music again, the emotions it evoked, putting me back sort of 20 years nearly now to when I first heard this piece of music. 18 years, I guess, if we're being specific about it. Yeah, it, it, it's incredibly powerful for me, and I, I can't really say more than that. I hope that you enjoy this as much as I do, even on the umpteenth listening. So this is the Max Payne theme by Kartsi Hataka and Kimo Kayasto. Thank you. 
everybody. This is Leah. And to absolutely no one's surprise, I am bringing a track from Persona. We recorded the show for Persona 5 not too long ago. And uh, when we were recording, Josh asked me uh, one of the hardest questions I think that I've considered in a while. And that was which my favorite um, Persona battle theme was, whether it was uh, the theme from uh, Persona 5 or whether it was the theme from Persona 3, which is Mass Destruction. And I just don't think that there's a better track in the Persona series for me. I used to joke that I um, I could I could just listen to it on a loop while I did like went to the gym or just did stuff and had it in the, you know, did any kind of work and had it in the background. And I'm not sure that's a joke, actually. There's loops on YouTube to play Mass Destruction for just an hour and I I could probably do that. I, I never have, but I, I think it's possible. Um, so yeah, Persona is obviously a really important series to me, as anybody who has listened to me podcast at any time over the years is probably going to already know. Uh, and I really have a difficult time coming up with which one of the uh, soundtracks for Persona 3, 4, or 5 is my favorite at any given time, and which my favorite game is. Uh, it's probably not 5. Uh, that has some issues that we talked about in the, the uh, Kingdom Rinse episode about that, but uh, 3 and 4 really battle it out. Um, but I think that, soundtrack-wise at least, Persona 3 is probably over 4 by a little bit for me. Um, and I think that's partially because I played Persona 3 before I played Persona 4. Uh, so it was kind of the one to get me into the series. And so it, it really is important to me in that way. I would have been... Um, per, well, it wasn't right when Persona 3 came out, but a couple of years after it, it was... Um, when I was still uh, recording Some Other Castle with uh, Elaine, my best friend, and we were both playing Persona at that time. I don't remember what had made us kind of start doing that at that time, but I was playing Persona 3 and she was playing Persona 4, and then we kind of switched off and I played 4 and she played 3. So I got into 3 first and that really just has stuck with me for so long and it is such a an important part of who I am as a podcaster, as a gamer, as, um, you know, just someone who enjoys video games in general and who enjoys JRPGs specifically. Uh, that's another thing that people will probably know about me is that I love JRPGs. I love all that um, wacky, crazy Japanese uh, stuff. I would probably not and this is something that I've mentioned before, but I would probably not have ever really listened to this kind of music or persona music at all, uh, any anything like that, if it weren't in these games. And I just love it. I I would I, I would and I do listen to the soundtracks outside of the games, but I think that they fit just so well in the games themselves that uh, it's it's really hard for me to come up with any tracks that mean more to me or that I think are better representative of my gaming tastes in general than this one and then persona tracks in general so uh it, with further without further ado uh this is mass destruction from persona 3 uh by shoji meguro uh happy 200 episodes to sound of play and here's to 200 more <laughs>
Liberty, never be charity. The enemy, your buddy, covers all society. Damn right, bummies down here, gonna fight. Right here, shadow, 10 o'clock direction. Seize the moment, this is joy the nation. Your rhymes, slow motion, give me motivation. Get out now, and then on your rival. Rounds up around, spit out, all over. Rhyme like a roller, don't come in a crowd. Watch out the moon, that this is loud. Get more this sound, and bombs won't round. So round up, don't eat your case, this enemy's brutal. Home of the truth, there ain't no truth. You're the only one, one world, one love. But the battle goes on, shadows all mass destruction. Oh, yeah. from the regular Kenny Rin statement. First off, I'd like to congratulate Leon Ryan on the 200th episode of Sound of Play. Uh, I have the privilege to have been on a handful of these 200 shows, but more than anything, I love to listen to the show myself. And especially the themed episodes are in regular rotation for me. Also, an extra special shout out must go to Ryan's Mega Mixes by Year. I think they're all great, but if you ask me, the 1996 one is the very best. This could change uh, when he goes back further in time, however. So... For this 200th episode, we've been asked to pick a track that holds a lot of meaning for us. I could name hundreds of songs that mean a great deal to me, but none of them would be from video game soundtracks. I enjoy a lot of video game music as I play the games, and hearing certain tracks in isolation can bring back memories of good times playing the games they're from, but it usually doesn't go much deeper than that. So I was almost at a loss for what to pick, until I had a sudden realization. In 2010, I reacquired a copy of Capcom vs SNK 2, a game I should have never sold off in the first place, and I started playing it again. 
At this time, me and my wife were two years into our stay in Germany and our second child was just born. And living in a remote village among the vineyards in the Rhineland certainly had its charms, but it also meant that we were kind of isolated from friends and family. I often worked long hours in Frankfurt, leaving my wife with a toddler who was a difficult eater and a newborn baby. And it put a lot of pressure on our relationship. I remember weekend walks through sun-drenched fields, pushing a baby pram by myself. Sometimes after a row with this very silly song from the Capcom vs. SNK 2 soundtrack going round and round in my head. I don't know what it was, but it reminded me of simpler times in our relationship, being that I originally bought the game in the year that we got married. But it wasn't just that. The track is so obviously early 90s club music with its soul-to-soul-like string arrangements, soulful nonsensical crooning and BPM count, that it kind of represents the most unabashedly positive and carefree decade of my life. So here it is then, a very silly song that's completely juxtaposed with the furious fighting in the game that is featured in. This is true lovemaking from the London stage in Capcom vs SNK 2.
Hello, me again, Ryan here. Uh, I'm not to introduce my own piece just yet, but to introduce one from uh, one of our team members, John, who was not able to record himself. So here we go. I don't quite know how to adequately sum up my feelings about Dancing Mad. I had always wanted to play Final Fantasy VI, so when the possibility of appearing on the first leg of the Final Fantasy shows was presented, I jumped at it, thinking it would be an excellent way to build up to VI. I really enjoyed playing through all the games in order, but VI was the icing on the cake for me. I loved pretty much everything about it. Dancing Mad is essentially a rock opera. The original piece, an 18-minute epic comprised of four distinct movements that serve as the boss themes during the four stages of the final boss battle with one of the most outrageous and ludicrous villains I've encountered in any game. In this case, I've chosen the Black Mages version of Dancing Mad, partially because it's a bit shorter and because it's more rock and guitar based with sweet solo to cap it all off. For me, this boss battle and this piece of music were the culmination of a couple hundred hours of Final Fantasy games that I'd been playing throughout 2018, and I found them to be the perfect ending to my journey through the early years of the franchise.
this is Jesse Fuchs. You might know me from such previous episodes as Persona 5. And that's about it at this point. Uh, I'll be an occasional contributor to Canon Rinse, uh, probably brought in for some of the more oddball things. I, I have never played a God of War game, but I do own every game in the iToy catalog. Uh, so if we cover any of those, uh, we'll all be set. One area that uh, the show will probably slowly start to cover over the next few years that I have become pretty familiar with is VR. And uh, over the last two and a half years, I've played a lot of VR games, uh, specifically PSVR, which I picked up the week it came out, largely because I teach a class on computer games in the 80s. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the 80s sense of the promise and possibility and how to fill in the blurry bits with your imagination uh, made me want to experience something like evoke those feelings today. And I feel like PSVR is in some ways at that point that 8-bit computers uh, like the Atari 800 and Commodore 64 were at in the mid-80s, where, you know, it's just good enough. It's still primitive enough that it doesn't require any imagination to foresee the straightforward ways they'll improve in the future. Uh, but they're good enough to be drawn into as more than a novel. And I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed playing a wide variety of games, and I've enjoyed being the weird uncle, both literally and metaphorically, who brings it to gatherings of family and friends and has shown people VR or at least home VR for the first time. Uh, and one type of game I like to show when people have a little more time is an escape roomish puzzle game. Uh, they're intuitively graspable, they're sort of engagingly toyish, and they tend to all have a, you know, fun first level you can solve in maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, and honestly, there's a bunch of excellent ones I like for different reasons. Job Simulator, Static, and Ganog are all great candidates uh, for this kind of demo. But the one I've almost always gone with is I Expect You to Die, even though its controls are a little more fiddly than the others. And it's mostly because the opening credits are just one of the best things I've ever seen in VR. Uh, you can watch a YouTube clip online, and though obviously it won't be the same, you'll get the gist. Uh, it's a super flat style on a three-color cream, black, and blood-red palette, somewhere between Ape Out and Persona 5, with, you know, a James Bondian inflection that abstracts out a cavalcade of well-timed methods of death and destruction, many of which are just listed in the song, uh, so that the viewer gets the thrill of having a giant drill headed for their face without the terror of having a more representationally uh, presented giant drill headed for their face. It's funny, but it's not goofy, and it builds to a satisfying climax with giant jaws chopping the room behind you and swinging blades straight from Sen's Fortress punctuating every last beat in front of you. And anchoring it all is this track, which I find a genuinely astonishing uh, piece of music and its ability, like several of my favorite songs, to ride the line between homage and parody. Uh, it's too over the top to not be a joke, but it's too menacing uh, to be a mere novelty, uh, with the title itself sort of the epicenter of this. I expect you to die is the shtickiest thing a Bond villain can say, but, you know, when you sing the word die 20 or 30 times in that tone of voice, it does actually accrete some genuine dread. The vocal performance is by Bonnie Bogovit. And what's especially stunning is that she's also the audio lead on this project. Uh, to me, she sounds like a professional specifically brought in for ability to Bond theme the hell out of this vocal, not just, you know, a team member who happened to have this in her back pocket. Uh, it's a fantastic performance that rides that line between joke and threat. And it's set perfectly by composer Tim Roscoe's arrangement for live instrumentation. I have nothing much to say about the music other than I like it a lot, uh, despite not being a guy who like actively listens to Bond theme songs. Uh, and if you want to know more, the Art of the Title website did an excellent interview about the whole credit sequence that features early sketch songs of the song and more. So without further ado, here's the theme to I Expect You to Die. 
promise you, agent, can't escape me forever. We're playing a game you take from me, I take from you. But every game ends, and when this one is through, I expect you to die. in your ear They've no chance to save you A mere puppeteer They only enslave you You're a piece on a board I bet with my wealth My armies of dreams Your every success Unveil still greater schemes A lake full of acid A drill from the sky If you try to fight me We'll watch your hopes die Lasers and saw blades with sharks on standby You're right where I want you to And this is goodbye I expect you to die This is Chris O'Regan, host and producer of the Sausage Factory podcast, with my favourite piece of music from a video game. Having thought long and hard over this, I could only settle on one tune that still sends shivers down my spine whenever I hear it. That tune is Tristram from Diablo. Composed by Matt Ullman, it features a 12-string guitar with a phenomenal chord overlay that left me breathless when I first heard it while playing the demo of Diablo for the first time in the autumn of 1996. A magnificent tune that refuses to age.
Hello, everyone. Josh here. So when thinking about picking a track for this episode 200 of Sound of Play, yay! Um, and thinking about a track that was important to me on a personal level, I went back and forth on a few games. One of the obvious picks um, I could have gone with is Final Fantasy VII, any track from that. Um, incredibly formative game for me um, and just an amazing soundtrack from Nobuo Uematsu. Um, I thought about a more recent game like uh, The Witcher 3. Um, some of the music in Hearts of Stone is amazing, especially uh, the track associated with uh, Gaunter Odim, his leitmotif. But ultimately, I landed, and this is an obvious choice for me, but I landed with uh, on Shadow of the Colossus. Um, and the track that I'm going to play for you lot is uh, the prologue uh, music. Just because when I think about music that transports me to a world and just instantly gets an emotional reaction from me, Shadow of the Colossus is in a league of its own. Just the imagery that this music evokes and just the, the themes that the game explores, it's just so, it's so achingly beautiful. And I think the prologue, it, it, I, it's not really this track that I'm selecting because I think the prologue music really just represents the game as a whole for me. I could have picked any Shadow of the Colossus track and and waxed lyrical about why in this particular use of the game it's amazing, etc., etc. But really I wanted to pick something that felt like it represented the whole and this kind of melancholy journey into the land, um, the forbidden land where the Colossus wander... It's just so rich with sadness and 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 I can't it's so well matched with the imagery that's playing um during this piece of music. Really like, you know, that that for me is is what's important about video game music is that association, that strong emo emotional association with either imagery or play or anything. It's not it's not just the music in of itself that's important, not just that it has a catchy tune, it's that it's attached to something meaningful, and whenever you hear it, you can't help but be transported to that point in time. So this is the prologue music from Shadow of the Colossus.
Hey, me again, Ryan here, uh, with another submission from one of our team members who is not able to hop to the mic. This is coming from Tony Atkins. Uh, I wish I could do a uh, voice impression as I read this. I always picture Tony in my mind as being like a cartoon rabbit or a cartoon mouse. Uh, I'm not sure really what that says about him or me, but... But I don't know, it's just what his voice kind of puts me in the mind of. Uh, anyways, Tony has to say, in an email that has been flagged by Gmail as possibly phishing, which I've not read through his submission beforehand, so let's see if together we can discover what Gmail is so suspicious of in this one. Tony says, Ah, the trickiness of trying to pick a favorite piece of gaming music. Of the many tracks that cycle through my head on a daily basis, there is one in particular that digs into my soul. Back in 2004, a little game called World of Warcraft found its way installed on my PC, and maybe I should have known then, after the piece of music on the logon screen called Legends of Azeroth, that I would spend the next two years and a thousand hours totally entranced by its universe. During the game's peak, you often had to queue on a server, and whilst you were waiting, Legends of Azeroth played on a loop with its soaring orchestral music and ridiculously high production values. Although the piece is only 2 minutes and 40 seconds long, it almost tells the story of an adventurer setting out on a journey, fighting an epic battle, and finally finding a tavern to reflect on their adventure. A pretty emotive way to start a game. I'm just going to tell Gmail that this message looks safe. And let's listen to this music from World of Warcraft, courtesy of Tony Atkins. Cartoon Mouse Extraordinaire.
Hi guys, this is Tom Quillfelt. 2018 was a massive year for me, but it was bloody exhausting as well. Uh, we moved into a new house and shortly afterwards my second son was born. Behind our new house is a huge strip of grass beside a brook, which is an amazing feature which I, I fell in love with straight away because I could, you know, I can take a coffee out there and, and clear my head after spending too much time on the internet. Late last year, a few days after getting the, the keys, there was a beautiful sunny day. So I went out onto the grass, lay down in the sun and just stared up at the blue sky for ages. I've listened to a lot of video game music over the last few decades, tens of thousands of tracks. You know, people spend thousands of hours in Dota 2 or whatever. I've probably spent that kind of time organising my iTunes collection. Uh, please don't take that as a boast. It's an omission of a, of, <laughs> of a severe compulsion. So lying in the sun on this particular bit of grass, an idea for a playlist bubbled up in my mind to capture the mood of that place at that time. The first piece that I could hear in my mind's ear was a piece called The Angel's Tears by Mitsuto Suzuki from Lightning Returns, which is the third game in the Final Fantasy XIII series. I played Final Fantasy XIII and XIII II. I quite enjoyed them but I didn't really want to play the third one because I couldn't face any more of that bonkers story. So after checking out the soundtrack to Lightning Returns I, I didn't really have a clue as to what this particular piece relates to in the game. It turns out it's uh, it plays during a quest where a former child actress who can cry on command sells her tears because they hold some uh, commercial appeal, which is uh, a bit odd. And uh, as I say, I'd had an, uh, enough of the that kind of bonkers stuff by the credit sequence of uh, Final Fantasy XIII 2. What drew me to The Angel's Tears is its incredible chords and harmony. They sort of sound simple, but they're, they're really deep and they convey a mixture of yearning and mysticism. But I also love it as a piece of minimalist electronica in its own right. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Suzuki appears to be another incredible Square Enix composer who's being blooded on non-mainline Final Fantasies and other Square JRPGs. So I, I consider him alongside Noriyasu Agamatsu, who did the unbelievably good uh, Final Fantasy Brave Exvius uh, score as a mobile game. And also Yasunori Nishiki, who, who wowed people with Octopath Traveler. And also people have tipped Hayato Matsuo to take over the Dragon Quest music one day. The best thing about The Angel's Tears for me is how the composer uses wildly different sound processing on, on the keyboard parts. There's delay on bits of the piano, there's spacey synth pads, there's this sort of spooky backwards Mellotron sound and it's all juxtaposed with simple lines of unadorned saxophone and piano. I think it's incredible really. It's totally different from what you associate with Noboru Matsu's Final Fantasy work. It's a bit more in keeping with Masashi Hamatsu's music for Final Fantasy X and he oversaw the, the music for the Final Fantasy XIII series, most of which I absolutely adore. Uh, but I particularly love this track and it will forever remind me of my new home and having a quick lie down on a sunny day.
Hello, I'm Darren Gargett, and I'd like to talk about a piece of music from Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. Now, I know we haven't covered these kind of games yet, even though we did a bunch of Mario ones. We kind of swerved this side series. Uh, but for me, it was probably the first Super Mario game I ever 100%ed. The game had an overworld map, uh, you know, similar to Mario 3, Mario World, but more in line with Mario World, it had like secret exits and other places and bits and bobs to find. And as a 10 year old, maybe 11 ish year old Darren, found this absolutely fascinating to have this in your hand, to have all these kind of nooks and crannies to be explored. Just something um, quite unfathomable and not really something I've thought about um, until I listened to the Game Boy Patreon episode uh, we did a little while ago. Uh, it's actually now free for everyone. And if you fancy getting the next one, you, you can do. Anyway, enough upselling. Yeah, um, but this music in particular called Dark Stages, uh, there's something about holding a Game Boy under your duvet with a stupidly magnifying light thing with some headphones in, like very cheap headphones. But hearing this music, it's called Dark Stages. So like it's got the same kind of eerie ambiance to the underworld music, you know, the underground music in... In a regular Mario game, you know, it's classic, it's, it's iconic, you know, but this one, it's got a lot of kind of high pitched kind of squeaks, like in my head that they're, they're rats in the corner. And then you've got the dun, 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 dun. And it's like he's sneaking through like a little basement or sorts. And yeah, it, it really like sends off an image in my head. And especially as a 10 year old, when you're running around with Mario and this tiny thing, we all know the carrot is secretly the best item in the game and probably my favorite in all of Mario. But anyway, yeah, to have this kind of very understated but kind of powerful music at the same time coming from a Game Boy plugged directly into my ears. Yeah, um, I haven't really thought about the soundtrack since, well, since then. And <laughs> listening to it lately, just thinking, you know what? Super Mario Land 2, six golden coins. Maybe it deserves a remake. always easy to fall back on a previous pick when it comes to a special edition sound of play like this. It almost feels too obvious, too simple, and yet it's exactly what I've done. This is one of my previous picks. In fact, I picked this song all the way back in Sound of Play 11, many, many years ago. And my reason for picking this is twofold. One is my unhealthy obsession with the game itself. It's something that I think about Far too often, far more than I probably should. I genuinely wouldn't change that for the world because it makes me smile every time I think about it. 
from the environments that the game had me play about in to the protagonists and antagonists of the of the franchise to the fact that to this day there is nothing that's really been comparable to it as a title most of all it's probably the music it's masterful and my second reason for choosing this game is because it's far too long since I've heard a Matty O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore hit. It's obviously going to be from the Halo franchise. Um, it's from the first game in the Halo franchise. It's not going to be the main theme. In fact, it's probably not one of the ones that immediately comes to mind, yet it's everything I love in music. It's sprawling. It's mysterious. It's Chin, it, tonally, it changes throughout the track. It's soft. It's slightly 80s. It's slightly modern, but most of all, it's quintessentially Halo. It's it, it's incomparable to any gaming soundtrack I've ever heard, even in the later Halo games. And I think that that, above all, commands merit because Halo has consistently had great music, even after Halo Four. Halo Five itself has a great soundtrack, but the first game, the first game, is unmatched for me. It's for that reason alone that I've had to choose Under Cover of Night from Halo Combat Evolved. Please enjoy.
Hello, Leon here. Welcome back. Hope you've enjoyed all the selections so far. This is going to be mine. Now, uh, I really struggled with this, partly because I started hosting the show and in the first few weeks or months, I would regularly have some of my own selections. Ryan still has his now and again, and I think I have popped back in with the odds uh, show where I, I pick a few tracks. But I've been yeah, I've been very lucky. I've managed to play you lots of my most important tunes. Uh, I guess when we first started as well, I was I was keen to you know make the show cracking and emotional and everything early on. So I picked some of my absolute all timers near the start, and I wanted to feature something in this show that I hadn't chosen before. I was very close to picking something that you probably wouldn't have expected, which would have been the theme to the original PGA Tour Golf uh, by Rob Hubbard from the Amiga and Mega Drive or Genesis golf game from 1990, 91 era. Uh, that was more based on a memory. It's a it's a really uh, excellent, I think, composition. It's very much in the style of uh, the sort of grandeur of golf TV music, if you've ever heard that, as sort of giving this absolutely epic feel to blokes hitting tiny balls around with sticks, uh, which is which is what they do in, in golf. Um, and it was it was evocative of a special time to me. But in the end, I actually surprised myself by going for something really recent. Uh, and this is where the actual music, or certainly within the context of the game, it's something that I've recently found genuinely emotional. What I've found as I've got older is that as I've experienced more and more stuff, I'm 46, coming up 47, fewer things actually really impress you as you get older. Just because I think, or the, I'm, I'm only speaking personally here, but I think that the more stuff you've seen, the more things you've experienced in life, the harder it is for you to be truly sort of taken away by something and truly kind of impressed because, and also because there's so much, you know, it's a ridiculous proliferation of amazing quality entertainment in video games and, and in other media as well. So when something does really strike you and immediately raise the hairs on the back of your neck and make your eyes water and all that kind of stuff, it's really striking. And it reminds you, you know, how alive you can still feel. And, and so in a way it becomes even more important than those that sort of rush of experiencing new things when you're younger, when kind of lots of stuff seems amazing. So this was, uh, I guess I first played this towards uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, Tetris Effect came out, uh, ended up on a lot of people's sort of game of the year type conversations and award winning and things like that. And yes, it was amazing to me because it was another variation of a game that I've been playing since the mid 80s. We did a podcast on this on Kane and Rince. Uh, check that Tetris show out. It was a rather good one. I did a lot of research for it. This particular version, which uh, was released by Enhanced Games and uh, developed by Monstars and Resonair, directed by uh, Takahashi, uh, Takashi Ishihara, sorry is all about the the traditional we associate it with Tetsuya Mizuguchi but he's actually the um the producer I think on this game this sort of synesthesia idea where the music and the and the game ties together we've seen it in Res we saw it in uh Luminez uh, and that that's where this game kind of takes a lot of its uh, sort of concept from which is the the moving of the the shapes and the blocks and the uh, actually plays into the music there's quite a lot of uh, really interesting and great tunes in this game, I think, all the way through. There's a lot of uh, stuff that I like, even if it isn't necessarily, you know, my go-to genres outside. But it's the, the, the way it climaxes, the end of the, the journey mode, uh, the final track, the level is called Metamorphosis, and the, the track is called Always Been But Never Dreamed. It ramps up and ramps up as you play through, and uh, 
some of the earlier tracks, I know some people were saying that, that they found those quite moving as well, but really this is where it all comes together for me. Some lyrics that, you know, you could could be seen as quite trite and platitudinous in isolation, actually somehow in, in that moment take on this incredible meaning when you're surrounded, even even not in VR, even just uh, on a nice TV, surrounded by all this uh, prettiness going off um, and that sort of Zen state that you get into while playing Tetris. Uh, the vocals of Kate Brady, sort of this slightly ethereal voice. She has a slight roticism, which is uh, endearing and uh, a slight tremor, which actually just sort of really serves the piece very well. And yeah, uh, each time I play this, each time I play through Journey, uh, I end up absolutely buzzing at the end of it and, and yeah, genuinely moved. Um, and that's why I've picked this piece for Sound of Play 200.
Coming back with one final track, but before we we get to that, we would like to put the call out there. Uh, Again, we've heard from a lot of the members of our team today, but normally uh, we do very, very much enjoy hearing from picks from our community, uh, from some of your favorite pieces of uh, of video game music, and um, things that we may not have ever encountered because as... Uh, as thorough of uh, video gamers as we like to be, there are still tons of things that pass us on by. And so whether they are uh, well-known, beloved household names or whether they are obscure games that no one's ever heard of, we we love to hear all of the the eclectic and oftentimes uh, strange and wonderful picks that our community sends in. So uh, please do get in touch with us at uh, our forum at canonrinse.com slash forum. You can find the Sound of Play subforum there. Or um, at our Twitter, at Kane and Rince. You can uh, tweet us your your favorite pieces of video game music, and we'll play them on a future show. Yeah, uh, and especially we like them, uh, kind of like you've heard today, if there's, a, if there's a particular story or connection between you and the track, and you can give us a little bit of background on that, make it a bit more, uh, bit more about the, the, the emotion of it is always nice. But equally, if you just want to pick a banger, because it's a banger, we like those too. That's right. We have some other podcasts on the network that, uh, you know, you're getting a little sampling of sound of play today on the main Canon Rinse feed. But uh, if you are into uh, video games, which I presume you are, then you're sure to love our other podcasts. Obviously, Canon Rinse, the, the main Canon Rinse podcast. Uh, we have on uh, on Fridays, The Sausage Factory, where Chris O'Regan talks to the developers of video games and gets some of the behind the scenes story. And some other rubbish. Yeah, you know, there's... We needed a schedule filler. So yeah. uh, so we spoke to these guys and... There's uh, some goofy thing called Playwright, which is just a <laughs> couple of jerks trying to pretend like they know anything about video game design and uh, pitching their own... Well, pitching our own. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my other podcast. Um, we, we pitch our own video game ideas and uh, usually come away with um, uh, definitely something unique. Not always... Not always uh, not always playable. It's entirely viable. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a really genuinely really excellent show. Oh, thank you. Uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't have had either. Uh, we wouldn't have added the Sausage Factory or Playwright to the Cana Rinse uh, roster if if we didn't uh, think it was uh, worthy. So yeah, no, check those out. Subscribe, rate and review Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you get your media. It's all good. We also have uh, social media, of course, because it's 2019. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find our Facebook page and give us a like. We also have an Instagram. And we have a Patreon because all the cool people have Patreons these days. You need yeah. one. <laughs> that is uh, patreon.com slash Rinse. Anyone who uh, does support us for a dollar a month or your local equivalent can uh, receive every Canon Rinse podcast a week early. Uh, there are the the console special shows, which come out six months early. Three months. Oh, sorry. <laughs> three months early. Just three months early. Uh, yes. Uh, the weekly shows are often extended as well. Don't forget. Not always, mm-hmm. but if they right. go over two hours, uh, you'll often get a little uh, director's cut of those. Uh, the Monday before, everybody else gets a two-hour cut. Uh, and yeah, you also get an exclusive monthly podcast where Jay and I uh, chew the fat, talk about what's been going on. Sometimes we put your questions to the uh, the team as well, and uh, that's a good time. It's got to be worth the equivalent of like ATP or less or less than a euro. I mean, for a month, 
mean, that's crazy. That's right. We're not asking for $40 a month like the computer game show is. You know, we're, we're keeping it humble. <laughs> I, 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 no comment. <laughs> I love those guys. We have one final track to close out the show today. And I thought, what better way to close out a big show like this than with one of the kind of all-time great video game ending, you know, closing end credit songs. Mm. We uh, we ended episode 150 with another piece of music that um in the same series and, and style and so you know this is kind of an appropriate way to to finish this one off but one of the things that i was thinking of with music that has meant a lot to me personally is that um, i played a lot of it already and of course that's not a disqualifier but i i felt like you know there are so many so many tracks out there that i wanted to kind of bring something something new. And this particular track is interesting because it doesn't hit like an emotional, like a, like a sad or a, one of the more kind of intense notes uh, that some of the other tracks have, um, have hit for our contributors over the course of the show, but it hits like a nice sense of contentment, which my experience with certain video games and certain sequels, especially is that you go into them with such high expectations and kind of like one of a few things can happen is like one, it is not as good as the previous one. And you're just kind of left with like, well, uh, you know, even a bad so-and-so game is better than most regular games. So I guess I'm happy enough, but, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, it just wasn't the same. It wasn't how I remembered it, especially because we hype everything up in our minds way more than they ever should be. Um, or, you know, it, it could be better than the previous one, you know, and Donkey Kong Country 2 to Donkey Kong Country 1, I think was a pretty solid improvement all around. This one is kind of an interesting uh, deviation because it kind of goes in a third direction. It, uh, while the original game, and I'll, I'll kind of break the silence here, I'm talking about Portal, um, while the original Portal, I don't want to say is a perfect game so we don't use that word but i think that it's safe to say that it it achieved everything that it set out to achieve you know i was thinking like it's such a good self-contained experience and it's so funny and so witty and it doesn't oversay it's welcome like how are they possibly going to follow this up when portal 2 came around i was kind of nervous going through it <laughs> just like you know the the portal puzzles are fun enough to sustain a game but like how is it going to have the same character and charm and humor and, oh, the ending, you know, how is it going to top that ending? I was kind of surprised to find that it, it did its own thing. It didn't try to hit all of the same notes of the original. It didn't reference the cake thing, which is nice because at that point it was getting very old. Um, and it, it just was very happy to have its own identity with um, just enough callbacks to the original. But when we got to the credits, another question had to be answered. How do we top Jonathan Colton's uh, still alive from Portal 1. And in this case, I don't think they were necessarily going for something bigger and better. I think they just kind of, they knew that they wanted to uh, to finish off this game as, in the similar way that they did previously um, with a, another Jonathan Colton piece sung by Ellen McLean who did the voice of Gladys. Uh, but, um, you know, I think they were very content with keeping it kind of simple, uh, not making it bigger and better than the last time around. Yeah, just kind of going for a a good piece of music. And when you have so high expectations going into something and to come out with it, just feeling like, yeah, you know what? It met my expectations and I'm very happy with that. Um, I find this song to be very funny, to be very musically accomplished. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's a, 
a lovely song. Uh, it's it's quite humorous, and it just really makes me happy listening to it. So uh, and that's what I wanted to leave us off with today. We're out of uh, Jonathan Colton songs to end these big kind of round number specials. So we'll have to uh, have to either come up with uh, Portal Three by um, Sound of Play Three Hundred or uh, get creative next time. But I was um, say, we're relying on Valve really, <laughs> which is not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, there we go. This is Once You Gone from Jonathan Colton and Ellen McLean from Portal Two, and we'll see you next week for something. Uh, Something more traditional. Your regular program. Until then. Well, here we are again. It's always such a pleasure. Remember when you tried to kill me twice? Oh, how we laughed and laughed. Except I wasn't laughing. Under the circumstances, I've been shockingly nice. You want your freedom?